I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 13 as we consider this beast. The first of two beasts that are going to be described and don't worry, next Sunday I won't be doing the second beast. I'm going to be doing the resurrection. The beast that wait. But we will get to the second beast, the, mo- the more dangerous of the two beasts, Next, uh, the following time we get through Revelation. But Revelation chapter 13 and we're going to be reading through the first ten verses. And while you're looking it up, you can turn to Daniel chapter 7 as well and just get your finger there because it has great relevance this morning. Revelation 13 And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems or crowns on its horns, take note, and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming His name and His dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it, Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Now, turn me, if you would, to um, Daniel chapter 7. I'm not going to read the whole chapter for the sake of time, but a few selected passages and then we'll talk through the rest. Daniel chapter 7, verse 2. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off. And it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked and behold another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads and dominion or power over the earth was given it. After this I... Okay, we'll just stop there for now. Just glance ahead in the passage. 
And if you look at your little subheadings, if you've got them in your Bible, we see there that we have this vision and then we have a vision of the Ancient of Day reigning. Alright, that's important. Hope. And then the Son of Man is given dominion. Hope. And then Daniel asks for interpretation of his vision and I would as well if I've got those. Verse 15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. Yes, I'd say. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So in his vision, in his state before the Lord, he approaches one. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Very important now. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. Remember that. And then if you glance a little bit ahead again to verse 25. Speaking about this beast with the ten horns, you can just glance down the page, verse 23 and 24. This is what this beast does, verse 25. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law. Take notes, we're going to come back to that. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. And the rest you can go and read at home. Now, as we consider this vision that the Apostle John sees, let's remember what we've just read in the book of Daniel, because it will make sense then for us. Many people today have been duped by scams, alright? You might be one of those. You get one of those sound, those phone calls and it's someone, I'm not going to say which, which country mostly from, <laughs> um, but usually someone and they want your bank account details or they want to fix your computer, even though you might not have one. And there's a scam that has cost many, many people many thousands of dollars. But there's a scam that is spoken of here in this passage this morning and this scam could cost you your soul if you fall for it. Will you recognize the scam? So we need to study this passage so we can recognize what is being put before us. Scripture is clear, you see, as we get closer and closer to the return of Jesus Christ, there will be an increase in evil. Sorry, there's no good news here when it comes to evil. It's going to increase. And this increase in lawlessness is mostly associated with the Antichrist. And we'll, you can read about that in 1 John 2.18. Or with the man of lawlessness, another name given to the Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 3. And the Apostle John calls this satanic influence the beast. One of two. And this beast today is closely associated with Satan. In actual fact, he's an incarnation. You know what that is? An incarnation, he's an embodiment of the evil one. Some believers in John's time saw the Roman government and Emperor Nero as the beast. And in some part, John speaks about that. But... There's so much more to this beast than just ancient Rome and so we've got to study the passage today. 
So let's look at this description of the beast. And the description is found in verses 1 to 4 of chapter 13. He rises up out of the sea. Now remember, if you step back a little bit to chapter 12, where we've been before, the dragon with the ten horns and the heads, seven heads, he also has been tormenting the saints. But in the end, if you just look back at the last verse, verse 17 of chapter 12, then the dragon became furious with a woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and to hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. So he's out to make war on, on the saints, right? And part of his war now is this beast that comes up out of the sea or the abyss in the Old Testament or the bottomless pit as Revelation describes the sea. Now in the understanding of the day, the sea embodied where evil comes from, where Satan comes from, where sea creatures live that we don't understand, where monsters of the deep are. We don't want to go there. It's dark there. He rises out of the sea, out of the abyss, the bottomless pits. This is the same beast who rose up and killed the two witnesses in another vision. You can't think of this in linear terms. You've got to think of this in separate visions. So in another vision that we've looked at already and we can't see today, there were the two witnesses who arose. And at the end of their time of witness, the beast rose up and killed them. Same one that we're looking at today. So he comes up out of the sea. And so the sea is seen as the domain of Satan and his activity. You can look to Psalm 74 verse 13 to 14. There are many references about that. But if we look at this beast, he's strikingly like the dragon. And no, and no wonder because he's made to look like the dragon. He's an image of the dragon. Where have we seen this before? He is an image of. Genesis. Man was made in the image of God. Now hold that thought. We're going to come back to it. You see, this beast is made and he's the great imitator and the deceiver. What is Satan? He's the great imitator and the deceiver. And so he makes this beast to imitate what God has done. I'll develop this thought as we go. Satan creates this beast in his own image. One who will work out his plans. The CEO. Let's look at him. He's got ten horns and seven heads. We've looked at that with a dragon last time. So if you don't know what that is, you'll need to go back there. I need to move on. He's got ten crowns on where? Not on his heads this time. On his horns. Now the horns were what? We just read Daniel. Political power. Kings who rose up. And here we have the crowns on his horns. In other words, this beast has got political power over people and he seeks universal control. So he's different. And as we look at the next beast, next time you'll see that this beast is not the same. There's a different side to him. But this beast from the sea wants to rule through government. He wants to rule through legislation. He wants to rule through force and control and bring it down on people. We'll come back to that as well. Furthermore, he's got blasphemous names on his heads. So on his heads he's got these names which are blasphemous to God. What does that mean? He's opposed to God in every way. 
He's the antithesis of good. He's the opposite of good. And he compels worship. Think of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar's statues, compelling worship. This beast. So in Daniel chapter 7, we read there, and it really helps us to interpret this chapter, about the political entities which oppress the saints over and over. And over and over in history, this has happened. Political rulers have come and gone and they've oppressed believers. They've oppressed those who have a faith in God. Many examples in history. Think of Pharaoh and many others. This beast looks like a leopard. He has the feet like a bear and the mouth like a lion. In the understanding of the day, to the listeners in John's time, when they heard he, had, he looked like a leopard, they would have immediately thought Macedonians and Greeks. They came to conquer. He has the feet of a bear, Medo-Persians. He has the face of a lion, Babylonians. That was the immediate association. But this beast represents worldly government. Now please note, I didn't say world governments. I'm not talking about Russia specifically here. He represents worldly governments. Do you get the difference? Governments run in a worldly way. Governments who deny God. Who bring in legislation against God and against His people. That is this beast. Recognize him at work. And I'll come back to that. And so, right through the, our modern day history too, we have various nations, various leaders that have arisen in history and they have suppressed God's people. They have made legislation which is definitely against God and His will and His moral stance. And even today we have them around. Recognize the fingerprints of the beast from the sea. Let's look at this beast. He gets delegated authority from the dragon, from Satan himself. He gets power from Satan. He gets to share Satan's throne, says Scripture. And he gets great authority from Satan. Description says he has a mortal wound on his head. And it looks like a mortal wound. A mortal wound, a big old slash or something that, yes, it should have killed him, but now it's healed. What does that remind us of? Mortal wound on the head? Yes, work with me. The lamb who was slain. We saw his image earlier. Alright, so now we're getting two things being copied over here. Okay, what's happening here? This mortal wound on his head looks healed. And I say looks healed. We're not told if it's a real mortal wound or an alleged mortal wound with a false recovery. But we do see, if you look a bit further in chapter 13, verse 12 to 13, that it's part of the second beast's great signs. We'll come back to that, right? So don't hang on to that thought. It's part of his signs. This counterfeit wound on the head of the first beast. And so we see that in some reflection he's a counterfeit Christ. And he's trying to counterfeit Christ's death and his resurrection. And I'll develop that thought next. 
But take note that the whole earth marveled and they followed this beast. And that's an old thing about humanity. What you marvel at, your feet are sure to follow. Where your heart is, your feet will go. And so they see the great signs that this beast is doing. They see this great fear and they marvel at him. And they worship the dragon and the beast saying, now take note of these words. Who is like the beast and who can fight against it? We've just read words like that. Similar words. Who is like the Lord our God? Right? Where do we find words like that? Exodus chapter 15 is another passage which uses these words. Look and listen to the words. Exodus chapter 15 verse 11. And then ask yourself, so why is the beast? Why are these words being used for the beast? Exodus chapter 15, verse 11. These are the genuine words now. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You see what's happening here? This beast is doing wonders, quotation marks, before the people, and the people marvel at him, and they bring out these words, which are blasphemous words, because they are attributing to this beast words which should only be given to God. Do you see the blasphemy? Not just by the beast, but by the people. And so they give him the attribute of omnipotence. You can do great things. You are almighty. Who can fight against you? Omnipotence. Who is the one who is omnipotent? Only God. You see what they're doing? So are you starting to form a bit of a picture of this beast? He's using force. He's using big picture stuff. Legislation. He's using suppression. Very different to the other beast we'll look at. And so this dragon and the two beasts form, if you would like, an unholy trinity. A copy of the real trinity that they put before the world. Satan is supposed to be the one who is like God. And that's what he really liked. And that's how he fell out of heaven. He's the master planner. He's the one with the power. And he delegates his power. The beast from the sea is supposed to be the one who is like the sun. He's even got a mortal wound and he's got delegated authority. And he shares the dragon's throne like the sun shares the throne of the father. Do you see the parallel starting to come out here? And then the beast from the land, and we, get, we haven't come to that, so it's not fair to ask you any questions now, but if you've been reading ahead, he has, if you look at verses 11 to 18, he has a head like a lamb, or horns like a lamb, so he looks like a lamb, but he speaks like a dragon. So he looks like a lamb, but when he opens his mouth, he speaks, he sounds like a dragon. The false prophet will come to him. And he tells people to worship the beast from the sea. And he points all worship to the beast from the sea. And so in many ways he's like the spirit who points to Jesus Christ and says, worship him. Do you see this false trinity developing? And it's deliberate. Because Satan wants to do what God has done. He wants to be God. And so he, he's got this false trinity which he puts before the people of earth. And we need to recognize it. And together they form this unholy trinity which demands allegiance and they deceive the masses. 
So let's look at this, the actions of this beast. And it's really important that we look at the specific actions because you will recognize them in society. You'll see the fingerprints of the beast at work. And I pray that you don't see the fingerprints in your life. Let's look at what he does. Firstly, verse 5. And the beast was given a mouth. He was given a mouth, uttering haughty, that is proud. Proud. In God's face. Proud. And blasphemous words. And he was allowed to exercise authority. And I'll come to that. So he was proud. He was in God's face. This beast. And everything he does is in God's face. And challenging God. And he's filled with blasphemy against God by taking on these attributes which only belong to God. And he replaces God's truth with his own truth. Quotation marks. And therefore he tries to play God. He blasphemes God's name. He blasphemes God's tabernacle is the original word there. God's dwelling place. What is God's tabernacle? It's the place where God meets with his people. If you think of New Testament, the ark, the tabernacle, the place where God meets with people. And this beast brings blasphemy against all these things which are holy to God. But we see that he's only been given authority for a limited time. Now who's giving this authority? Not Satan. Satan is giving him full hog. It's God allowing this to happen in His time. And so we come to this, this 42 months again. And when you see this term 42 months, it's the same as three and a half years, or a time and times and half a time, or 1,260 days. Those are all the same thing. But what does it mean to us? You see, when you see that phrase, it means it's a specific duration set for believers suffering and that time period is set by God and determined by the true ruler of the universe, not Satan. God is in control of that. And when you look specifically at the three and a half years, it's half of seven. It's, it's time cut short because of God's mercy on His own. You see God's mercy even in those words. But there's a limited time when this beast can exercise his authority over the earth. God is, the, is in ultimate control. He is the one who is truly omnipotent, even over how long evil is allowed to exist. Did you hear me? God is in control, even over how long evil is allowed to exist. And so this beast in verse 7 is allowed to make war on the saints still on earth. He's allowed to make war. Think of Job. Satan appeared before the Lord and he said, Your servant Job honors your name, but it's only because you're too good to him. The Lord says, Bring it down on him, bro. No, no, no. I mustn't do that. The Lord says, Bring it on my servants. And he will not let my name go. And so he does. He makes war on Job. Satan makes war. God allows it. Now here the same thing. God allows the beast to make war on the saints still on earth. Who's that? Christians who are still living, who haven't, haven't been taken to heaven yet. And he's allowed, now watch here, because it's not good news for us saints, he's allowed to conquer them. That means actual slaughter, actual pain, actual blood flowing, actual hard times. 
Christians become the cannon fodder in the beast's quest for world domination because he fears and he hates believers, because he fears and he hates their Lord. And so the Roman arena in John's time was just a taste of this. In the West, we as Christians don't fully understand this concept of a limited time of suffering. Why? Because we've not had to endure persecution for many hundreds of years. We've had it good. In the West, between the 1300s and 1500s, many, many, many martyrs died for their Christian faith in Europe and in England. Many died for their faith. We live in 2018, a few hundred years later. And we've got a good so far. But speak to Christians from persecuted countries today. Speak to Christians from Syria, China, Ethiopia, Egypt, North Korea, Nigeria, Sudan, Iraq. Speak to those Christians. And they understand that this picture of revelation has application for the here and now to them. They see the suffering around them. They experience the suffering and they say, it is only for a short time. He will deliver. He will come through. The beast is not forever. They understand because they're in it. He's given authority over... Now, take note of this. All who dwell on earth, verse 8. We've come across this phrase before. All who dwell on earth, earth dwellers. Who's that representing? We've seen that before. Unbelievers. So, this beast has got authority over not just believers, but unbelievers for a while. No one will be, there are no exceptions here, from every tribe and people and language and nation. Scripture over and over, especially in Revelation, uses that phrase to mean no one will be excluded. And so he's got authority over unbelievers as well. Who's an unbeliever? Who's an earth dweller? Here's the definition in Scripture. It's one of the clearest ones. Who is an earth dweller? It says everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain. Now, I'm not preaching on election today. It's 55 sermons on their own. But that's not what it's saying here. Yes, there are, we believe, as we read Scripture fully, that God elects those He will save. But at the same time, and this is the mystery of the faith, that all of us need to come to Him and respond to the Son and give our lives to Him. It's a parallel truth which hangs there. My little processor can't handle it. But God understands that. We each need to bow before the Son. But here it says, anyone whose name has not been written in the Lamb's book of life, in other words, anyone who, who hasn't, their name hasn't been written into the book of all those that Jesus saves, they are called an earth dweller, an unbeliever. And it might be you this morning as well, because you haven't yet bowed the knee to Jesus. Then you need to listen to what this says. And I'll get to the application. But before we all give up hope, let's just look a little bit ahead. We need to just cheat a little bit and look ahead. 
The climactic confrontation between Christ and the beast in Revelation chapter 19 verse 11 to 21 where Jesus Christ appears on a white horse and he goes out to make war against God's enemies. And the beast appears as his chief opponent. It's listed there. The beast appears as his chief opponent. Now look at this. And he leads the kings of the earth. The rest of the earth dwellers come against Jesus Christ on his white horse. And the result of it, the beast, the false prophet, or the beast from the land, are defeated and consigned to the fiery lake. Chapter 19, verse 20. So there is hope, alright? We'll get there, but just peek ahead of it. And so, what's the purpose of this vision, verse 9 and 10? He says, He who has an ear, let him hear. Where did we hear that before? The letters to the seven churches. Every letter, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And here again, he who has an ear, let him hear. And immediately to those saints, that association would be there. He's speaking to us. The beast is working on us. Some of us have gone to prison. Some of us have been killed. Some of us are sitting on the Isle of Patmos because of our faith. And then he says, and he uses a proverb of their day, Verse 10, if anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a, with a sword must he be slain. So what's this all about? Is this preaching fatalism? What he's saying is, if you need to go into captivity, if that is what the Lord has for you to endure, then don't retaliate when you have to suffer. Are you hearing me? Our religion of Christianity is not the same as Islam. There are sections of Islam who say the infidel must be destroyed. We say the infidel who is not the Christian must be prayed for and loved. Don't retaliate. The truth of Christ cannot be defended by violence. And we will never do so. And in the past, through the Crusades, where this has been done very wrongly, it has caused great shame to the name of Jesus Christ. We won't go there again. If we need to go into captivity, we will go into captivity in the strength that the Lord gives us. So be it, Lord. You will be with us in the flames of fire, like Daniel. Daniel went into the flames with the sun. If it's to be killed by the sword, then be killed by the sword. And entrust your soul to him who judges righteously. Who did that? Jesus Christ went to his death on the cross. He didn't fight it. He didn't raise a rebellion as they wished he had. He went to the cross because he knew it was the will of the Father. And just because it was the will of the Father didn't make it any more pleasant. It was the same nails that were driven through human hands. It was the same blood that flowed out of his hands. It was the same excruciating agony that he endured. But he did it because he obeyed God. It was God's will. Who are we? Are we not much less than him? 1 Peter 2 verse 23 
He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself (coughs) bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Be like Jesus Christ. If you need to go through hardship in this world because of the work of the beast, then so be it. But trust in God. And I don't know what your situation might be specifically today, because I can't see your heart. I don't know what happened specifically in this week to you. You might have heard news which is devastating to you. But go through it for the sake of Jesus Christ, but copy Him. Be like Him. Don't be rebellious when those things come against you, but go like Jesus did, in humble submission to God. And then he says in the last bit of verse 10, this is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. You see, John wants these persecuted Christians who hear this message to see that the thing that matters is the sovereignty of God. The thing that matters is not the power of evil, but God who is sovereign. And so when your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you are not forgotten. God is active in your adverse circumstances. He will preserve your soul through everything. Amen? He will. So what do we do with this? And I've got four points that I want to just bring to you as application. Firstly, The beast takes many forms in our society today. We need to recognize him, otherwise we're going to be duped as believers. What are some of these counterfeit Christs of our society? Well, successive governments of New Zealand. Now, please listen, I'm not saying the government of New Zealand is the beast. Are you hearing me clearly? I'm not saying that. I'm saying... Successive governments of New Zealand have not yet openly turned against Christianity, but they have given themselves the attributes of God by changing His moral law. Playing God with God's moral laws. Do you recognize the fingerprints of the beast? And so therefore we need to pray for our government. The rainbow, LGBTQ, whatever else they want to add on there. Their whole agenda is a real pushy, worldwide, social media-wide agenda. You can't switch on a TV program anymore without coming across it. Every single program now. It's an aggressive agenda. And it's being pushed here and worldwide. And governments and society are just pandering to them. Do you see the fingerprints of the beast? That's typical of his power. It's big. It's full on. It has a lot of people. And if you try and stand up against them, you try that in the paper. You label the bigot. A fundamentalist. We had it again this past week in the paper, which I'll quote in a few weeks' time. Social media, go and read social media and all these 
big campaigns that come across social media and everyone gets swept up in these campaigns and we're all liking and liking and changing our little picture that represents who we are with rainbows and all kinds. The beast is at work. Recognize him. Don't be part of it. You are a Christian. When others see that a Christian is part of this, the name of Jesus Christ isn't glorified. Secondly, are you worshipping the unholy trinity this morning. Scripture's definition says, if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, then you are. There's no in-between. And I want to appeal to you again today. If you have not yet bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, as you're sitting here, if He is not Lord of your life, you are worshipping the beast. And if nothing changes, you will continue to worship the beast. Because Satan has a grasp on your soul. And the only way you can loosen those fingers of Satan and the beast on your soul is to bow your knee to Jesus Christ and allow Him to be Lord of your life. The real Lamb that was slain for your sin. Let Him wash over your soul. Let Him take your sin away. But come before Him and confess that you are a sinful creature, that you can't do this without Him, you need Him to do this with His supernatural, all-encompassing powers. But come and bow the knee, because otherwise you will meet with Him one day. I can only appeal to you as a pastor here. And my fellow believers here, we appeal together with you. Come to Jesus Christ and be saved. Don't leave it you do not know what you have for tomorrow. If you don't worship Jesus Christ, you worship the beast by default. There is no in-between. You're like a moth to the flame. Satan grasps your soul. Come to Jesus Christ. Be saved. Thirdly, I want to encourage you saints, and I've got two points just for you. Feel special. Discern false worship from true worship. We're going to come more about that in the second beast as well. Don't get so influenced by the world's thinking so quickly. Are you sure you're still worshipping the true lamb in your heart? Or is the one that you're worshipping one with seven heads and one of them's got a wound on it? How do you know? Do you marvel at what the beast has to offer? Through possessions? Through power, through position, through social popularity, yes, even on social media. Do you give in to social pressures and the latest social media crusades? The question you've got to ask yourself is, is God glorified by these things that you are part of? If not, there's a false land that you're worshipping. But because you're a believer... Just come to the Lord and confess that before Him and turn your eyes once again on the true Son of God, the one that is slain for sin, Jesus Christ. Don't leave your situation in that way. You're in mortal danger. You're worshipping a false God. So examine your daily attitudes and your actions and your secret thoughts. Are you worshipping the true Lamb or the false God? Your feet will go where your heart is already worshipping when you marvel. I plead with you. Those things you look at 
on your own when no one else is there, those things you think about, pornography, other things that are around, if that is where your heart is, your feet will follow. Your family will bear the consequences. And you will bear the consequences in it. Please, my fellow believer, look at where you are. Worship the true Christ. You see, this beast also influences us through fear. This is a subtle one again on the opposite side. This, there's the fear of the scorn of others. Oh, what will other people think? Fingerprints of the beast. Fear of pain or death lying ahead. You know, I've met a few, quite a few Christians and I don't blame them because I'm human too. And they fear death. They fear pain. What have we got to fear? The fingerprints of the beast. What's a healthy remedy for these things? A healthy fear of God. And that's a good fear to have. This awe for God. This reverence for who He is and His name and what He can do in our lives. This good fear drives out fear of man and it drives out, even though we are going through difficult circumstances, it drives out doubt in us. Fear God. Worship Him. And then saints... Lastly, take heart. When you see the bigger picture involved here, then persevere and keep the faith. Don't walk away from the Christian walk. Don't compromise. Perseverance is walked out through times of testing. Perseverance is walked out through sickness, through sadness. Perseverance is walked out through hardship, through financial and physical difficulties, and even through persecution, heckling the smirks of others. Persecution is walked out through these things. And in the end, you will persevere. I want to put to you this morning, let the monstrous beast from the abyss do his worst against you. Let Satan and his demon host have their hour. God controls the future. And God controls us who belong to Him. And in all these things, we are overwhelmingly we, in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. Let that be the mantra on our souls. And though we might be called to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ, and I put a last promise before you, the kingdom of the world becomes the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and, we, and He will reign forever and ever. Don't be overcome by the fear which might be all around you. Look to Jesus Christ. The kingdom is His in the end. And we will live with Him forever and ever. I hope that you've received some hope in this passage of the beast. Let's look to this week ahead. And as we consider these things, let's consider the one who is all-powerful, Jesus Christ. God become man, the one who's conquered these ones. And let's worship him for what he's done for us. Amen. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank you that you do give us warnings. Like we receive warnings in life about things which can endanger us. Thank you that you've given us these warnings and good descriptions so that we would recognize the beast at work, so that we would be warned, so that we will know that we are to persevere. 
and keep our faith in Jesus Christ and trust Almighty God and you will bring us through in the end. Lord, help us through circumstances that you put us through. Thank you that we know that it's just a limited time and then these things will end and we will be with you forever. But keep us faithful, we pray, for the sake of Jesus Christ and his testimony in the world around us. Keep us faithful. Amen.